On this episode of Oski Talk, we break down Josh Whitman's latest press conference and talk about the Big Ten's revenue problem. And I host my first Oski Talk. Let's go. This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. Oh! It ended well. <laughs> McCourt for the win. In the it's air. Good. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. And Matt Orbebe with a ball in the air. Makes the catch. Yes. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Ryan Guzman, and if you're wondering where Anthony Pasquale is, well, he's definitely not here right now. No, Anthony has been let go, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, he just had too much of, uh, I don't know, something. Uh, Anthony is not going to be on this episode just because he's doing something. We actually don't know what he's doing, but uh, Mariah, we're, we're happy to have you host this episode of Oski Talk. Well, thank you, Patrick. I feel like this is a really big responsibility, but I... I feel like I might be ready to take on this role, so I, we'll see how it goes. I think you're perfect for it. So while we don't know where Anthony Pasquale is, and we might never know what he is up to tonight, we do know that the Big Ten revenue came out, and there might be some money issues going on in the Midwest. Yeah, Big Ten teams, um, it, it was kind of trending on Twitter for a while there, what revenue Big Ten teams make every year from football and um they're just not going to be able to live up to those expectations this year. Um, making the same amount of money just due to the fact they can't sell tickets um, to at least, you know, in, in the Illini's case, 60,000 people. You know, these teams have to go down to 20% capacity. They're not going to be able to sell tickets and they're not going to be able to, you know, therefore sell concessions and everything that comes along with the fan experience. So while there will be money in, in 2020, um, the amount of money that these Big Ten teams will be making is going to be significantly less than the, what they might be making um, on a typical football year. Which then also brings in issues because there are, you know, the, those MAC schools that do rely on the revenue that they would be getting from Big Ten teams so it's kind of a domino effect where one aspect of the money is hit, it kind of just ripples down. And it's not only affecting the Big Ten, it's affecting everybody. And it's unfortunate what's happening. But, I mean, I think that they're trying to navigate it as best as they can. And who knows, maybe they're going to find a way to make up for it in the following season. Yeah, I you know the fact that they're not playing non-conference is going to hurt a lot of uh, Big Ten teams. They also um, NewJersey.com posted an article about how much each football team spends, and when your teams like Michigan, who spend over forty million dollars on football and only make you know, make a hundred million this year, is is going to be hard to you know recoup some of those losses or hopefully break even if you're those teams because. You know, the big house at 20% capacity is only 20,000 people. Um, You know, add concessions, which are going to be limited to that. And, and, you know, it it really comes down to how how many real dollars can Michigan make this year. 
um, you know, teams right there with them, Penn State, Ohio State, Minnesota, um, Nebraska, Minnesota, um, throw Wisconsin in there, um, and Iowa, <laughs> make that was pretty big, all make over $30 million, or spend, excuse me, spend over $30 million this year, so it is really going to be how much can you um, make back to break even this year, and when you're a team like Illinois, who, um, in these are all um, in 2016, these numbers, um, you know, they spent $22.3 million that year. Um, making back that money might be a little bit harder. And, and when you're um, Rutgers, for example, um, who's a big deal in this, um, in their 2017 fiscal year, they lost $8.2 million. So even um, for, you know, the team that hasn't had a whole lot of success in the last couple of years, a team like Rutger, um, Rutgers, this COVID-19 might significantly hurt their chances of, of having football in the upcoming years. Right, and it's unfortunate that, you know, these organizations are risking a lot, the athletes, the coaches, everybody a part of those respective athletic departments are risking a lot because we are still trying to have football amidst a global pandemic that is happening. And it can be hard when you're risking a lot and there might not be much reward in the end. And it's, you know, everything... It seems like we're back in March when we found out that the NBA was canceled and then everything just kind of kept rippling down. So it is a little nerve-wracking, I feel like, for college football fans wondering if, you know, the season might even still end up happening. But I do think that everybody's going to try their best to work out some sort of season and revenue will come after that because I think trying to organize a season and trying to keep players and everybody else as safe and healthy as possible is going to come first before money as it should. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I do, however, think that money is, is at the forefront of every athletic director, um, conference commissioners, NCAA heads, head minds. I I honestly think that they all think you got to think in terms of real dollars, how much they're going to be making this year. And, yeah. Um, the fact of the matter is they don't play football this year. They lose out on a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Um, they talk upwards of $4 million between NCAA, all the conferences making their individual monies, or money, excuse me, money, um, you know, Big Ten teams making their money. It, it's a lot of money, and, and you would hope that the government wouldn't have to bail them out after a year, but um, that might become a reality towards the end of um, – the season. And that's a good transition into our next part of the episode. We're going to have a couple of sound bites from Josh Whitman's most recent press conference talking a little bit about returning during the COVID-19 pandemic, so make sure you stay tuned to that. In terms of college athletics, uh, we'll we'll talk through a number of different things today. Thought we would start with a few comments on the return of our student athletes to campus. Uh, Obviously, the Big Ten made some updates and announcements last week, and then we'll spend some time talking about uh, what game day could look like at Memorial Stadium this fall and uh, and sharing some updates there as well. So starting with the student athletes, uh, I think it's important that we start with uh, that first line, which is that uh, the return of our student athletes has has been and will continue to be purely voluntary. Uh, We've emphasized that to them in every communication that we have had, whether it be via email or 
any one of the, the many calls that we've had with them over the course of the last four months. Uh, we feel strongly that this is a time where they need to make decisions that are in their own best interest. Uh, and we've encouraged them to, to, to think critically about whether this is the right place for them to be. Uh, we feel strongly about the protocols that we've put together. Uh, we feel like uh, in terms of, of a healthy environment here in Champaign-Urbana and, and more specifically in our facilities on our campus are about as healthy as they can find. Um, but uh, ultimately they, they have to make those choices for themselves and we've encouraged them to do so. Uh, we only have about 165 athletes back currently over the course of the summer. We've brought them back in a, in a phase process from five of our different sports. Uh, currently, we have athletes here from football, men's and women's basketball, volleyball, and soccer. Uh, and they have been, I think, excited to be here. Uh, I really uh, give a, a shout out to Randy Ballard, who you'll hear from later. He and his team have done a fantastic job of developing uh, a very thoughtful protocol uh, around the return of our student athletes and their day-to-day -day work within our facilities. Uh, we are testing our student athletes and the staff who work with them regularly on a weekly basis. I think as of this morning, we've now conducted nearly 1,000 tests. Uh, feel good about um, the, the work that we're doing there and the, the willingness of our student athletes and our staff to participate. Uh, the protocols are, are rigorous uh, and, and really have been become a model, I think, for for several schools across our state and, and even outside of our state. Uh, but beyond testing, certainly we have very careful procedures around how we use our facilities, how those facilities are cleaned and the kinds of workouts that our student athletes are, are undertaking in terms of the, the size of the groups that they can participate in, the people who are in those groups, the coaches who are, uh, are, are leading those groups, uh, how they enter the building, how they leave the building, how we handle laundry, locker rooms, all of those things are very scripted. Uh, and again, kudos to our student athletes for their great flexibility uh, as they've adopted to, to that new routine. Uh, as I mentioned, not, not only for this summer, but throughout the entire year, and we made this clear to our student athletes uh, many weeks ago that, that their decision to participate this year is voluntary and that their financial aid will be protected regardless of that choice. Uh, the Big Ten last week uh, announced that that it would be making that same commitment across all 14 member schools. But uh, we, had, we had done that uh, several weeks prior and felt good uh, about making our student athletes comfortable uh, that they have a decision to make. And, and again, we feel confident in, in the procedures we have in place and the, the health of the environment that we've created here. Uh, but ultimately those are their calls to make. Last week, uh, the Big 10 did make some announcements that, that garnered some national attention uh, they announced that uh, after much deliberation, uh, the, the league would move towards a conference-only schedule for the fall sports, that is the sports that have a, a fall championship here at the University of Illinois, that, that's five sports. It's both of our cross-country programs, men's and women's, it's soccer, it's volleyball, and it's football. Uh, and uh, that, that decision really was driven by two primary thoughts. Uh, one is uh, control, and the second is flexibility. And uh, as you think about the control piece, uh, we wanted to be in a position to have uh, confidence in that, that, the, that there was standardized testing, um, that the protocols in place were being utilized by not only our student athletes and staff, but by every student athlete and every staff member who would be in the competitive venue against our student athletes. Uh, and so we want our students to feel confident when they step out to compete, that they know the people they're competing against have been through the same tests uh, on the same timeline with the same procedures uh, as they have been. 
uh, and certainly we have the opportunity to do that uh, by controlling uh, and limiting only to conference competition. On the flexibility side, uh, as you would expect, uh, when you only have to deal with the 14 member schools within the Big Ten, we take com complete control of the calendar. Uh, we certainly hope uh, that we'll be able to move through our seasons without any disruption, but we have to also prepare for that contingency. We understand that it's very possible there may be disruption uh, at one point or another during the season, and, and having complete control of the calendar allows us to make those decisions in real time, uh, whether it's to delay, to postpone, to cancel, to reschedule. Uh, we know that we have uh, every date available to us to, to move those competitions around as we need to uh, and, and, and ultimately provide for the, the most healthy environment that we can for, for our student athletes. So what is it actually going to look like uh, when people come into Memorial Stadium in the fall? And certainly we've been asked that question many times. We're starting to get, I think, a good handle uh, on, on what that game day experience will be. Um, and, and really a lot of it will be driven by uh, the guidelines that have been issued by the governor's office, uh, the phase four guidelines that were uh, issued in late June. Uh, there actually is a set of guidelines that deals directly with spectator events. Uh, and, and we intend to comply with those, with those guidelines. Uh, number one, as you'll see, is that uh, capacity will be limited to 20% uh, of a venue's uh, overarching uh, number of seats. And so here at Memorial Stadium, we have around 60,000 seats. Uh, that'll be somewhere 10 to 12,000 people in our building. Uh, as you can see there on the, on the side of the slide, we've given you a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a preview what a manifest could look like and, and hats off to our ticketing staff led by our associate athletic director, Jason Hegemeyer. They put together endless models on, on how we might be able to seat the stadium uh, in a socially distanced environment. What you can see here is, I believe this is section 201, um, but, but the green dots represent seats that would be filled uh, and the white dots represent seats that would not be. Uh, and you can see there that, that we'll have different configurations for different uh, numbers of people. Uh, if you wanna have four people in your party, you wanna have two, you wanna have eight, uh, we'll work with you to identify a location that allows you to, to have your, your party together. And then we'll create a space between that party and the parties around you um, but it's, uh, so we'll be at 20% uh, for outdoor spectator events in compliance with, uh, with the governor's guidelines. We have communicated about this uh, with uh, our current ticket holders. Uh, we had, of course, had tickets on sale to the public for uh, really since the bowl game and have had great um, participation from our fans. We're, we're very grateful for that. Uh, we've asked them to indicate whether they want to continue to be a part of this season or not. Uh, for those fans who aren't comfortable for one reason or another, we've given them a number of choices. Uh, they, can, they can defer uh, and push their, uh, their ticket purchase into next year. Uh, they can convert their, their ticket purchase into a donation to our iFund, uh, or they can get a refund. Uh, and we'll continue to work with them. Certainly once we have a schedule, uh, we'll be going through a, an entire new round of communication with all of our fans, our ticket holders, our donors, uh, to discuss with, with a high degree of specificity the new schedule and, and what the process will be um, for, for reticketing the stadium under these guidelines. In terms of tailgating and parking, uh, another big question that, that uh, people have been asking. Uh, also in the governor's guidelines, uh, it specifically calls out tailgating and, and says uh, very directly tailgating is not permitted. 
Um, that's something that we had been working on some different concepts, uh, but once the, the guidelines were issued, uh, obviously, again, we're going to comply with those. Uh, so there will be no tailgating at our football games this year. Um, we're uh, continuing to, to hope that, and, and I think this is important for, for folks to hear that throughout the course of the fall, I think there could be opportunities for some relaxing of, of these guidelines, but we have to earn it, right? We have to prove to the world that, that we're responsible and that we can be a community that, that demonstrates uh, that, that we can exist in a socially distant environment, that we can attend these, these larger events and, and mitigate against the spread of the virus. And so, um, you know, I think we should all accept that as a challenge, uh, that, that when we come to these events, we wear our masks, we, we, we keep ourselves separated, uh, we follow appropriate protocols. And if we do that, then hopefully, once the students are back in town, once uh, our games are underway, uh, we can point to some evidence and, and go back to the governor's office and, and hopefully see some, some relaxing of, of some of these guidelines. Uh, but on the tailgating side, uh, Grange Grove obviously will be impacted by that. We're working through some, some various models uh, that uh, might be able to still provide for some level of entertainment in Grange Grove. Uh, again, trying to create a, a distance environment uh, within it. Our staff, uh, as you would expect, is prepared to uh, rigorously, rigorous, rigorously clean the stadium uh, throughout the game, before the game, after the game. Uh, we'll have uh, a smaller crowd, again, uh, than, than what we're accustomed to, which will make uh, cleaning a little bit easier. Uh, but we'll have a certainly a, a high commitment to making sure that we're working through the building and and keeping it as clean as we possibly can. Uh, we're also going to be uh, utilizing some of the, the latest and, and greatest in terms of, uh, of different amenities within the building, electrostatic machines. We'll certainly have a number of first aid rooms scattered throughout the building and, and uh, increased number of sanitizing stations as well. That was Josh Whitman on his most recent YouTube press conference. Um, just took a couple sound bites from that. If you wanna check out the full um, press conference. You can check that out at Illinois 1867, um, University of Illinois' YouTube page. Funniest name, I gotta say, Illinois 1867. Like, I just, whoever's working PR. It gives yeah. character, though. <laughs> it's so, I don't know why they do that. Anyways, moving on to the press conference. Um, a lot going on there. Reiterating, of course, that it is completely voluntary if you want to play in, in fall sports this year. Um, you don't have to. We talked a little bit about um, what the stadium capacity is going to be like, 20%, and no tailgating. I think a good place to start is um, talking about that 20% capacity. It is going to be very hard to get tickets, I feel like. Um, and I'm, I, I'm just curious how they're going to cater that to to students. I, I'm not sure if you know students are even going to be allowed to go to games. Right. That was actually the first thing that popped into my mind when I learned the capacity and how it was a max of 12,000 spectators. So, I mean, that's about 20% capacity for them at Memorial Stadium. But I thought about that. How are they going to cater to students? How are they going to organize that? And, I mean, you have to think that even the student section, it's – set up differently than the rest of the stadium is so it does have a different look and how are you going to I mean you know in the PowerPoint that Whitman had he did pinpoint how 
you know, it might be four people here and then a six seat space and then three people and then more spaces. And it looked like about every two rows didn't have anybody in it. So, I mean, clearly they are working hard and I can't even imagine what is going on behind the scenes in regards to how they're going to get fans into the stadium. And of course, if football happens, people are going to want to be there and they go are going to want to support their Illini and that includes students, the students that more than likely were the ones that are sad about, you know, having a shortened spring semester. So, you know, I mean, you bring that into it and I don't think that they'll forget about the students, but I do think that might be a harder piece to try and figure out. I just think too, like when, if you're thinking about the whole university at large, like, do you even risk letting students come to this game? Like, you know, they they might come in contact with other people too, and then you put the whole university, when those people leave and go back to where they came from, you put those people, you know, the, the bubble that they're going to try and create in Champaign um, at risk, right? So, you know, what does that come in? I imagine they'll have students test after going to games if that's a possibility. Um, we you know, the testing capacity of University of Illinois, I don't think has been fully explained yet what we can do with that, um, how that'll 100% look. I've heard rumors that they'll be having um, saliva tests after every discussion, but I'm not sure that's 100% the plan yet. Um, that, which makes sense, but that is a lot of testing to be doing. So I'm not, again, I'm not sure if that's like going to fit, actually be a realistic plan um, when when it comes down to it. But Back at the um, um, the regular fans too, those tickets are gonna be hot. They're gonna be hard to get. I mean, only twenty thousand fans. I mean, I think Illinois will be good this year. Um, you know, we've predicted as much as um, I I thought before um, this whole COVID thing happened. Uh, eight and eight and four, maybe a seven five season. Um, so there's a lot of hype going into it. Those those seats are gonna be really hard to get. Right. I, I think this year. And I mean, that also brings into the question, like you said, you predicted for them to be so good. And honestly, COVID aside and say this never happened, this would have been the season to really see a fully developed team from Lovey Smith. But is it fair to judge them? Because now we are restricted to only the Big Ten. And there, there's so much going on. I don't know if you can even take this into account. And again, it's like, do we put an asterisk? Are we putting an asterisk next to this season? What if we don't have... What if some players opt out that would have been a key part in the development for this team? I think that... I think that this brings so many questions that, again, they don't have answers and it's really hard and we can talk about it all we want, but I think it's really going to come down to what we actually see come the fall. Right. That's 100% what I put to it. I, I would like to break down a couple of things um, that you just said there too. Uh, first, I would like to say that, I mean, you know, university, I mean, Josh Whitman is trying his best and so is the University of Illinois to create the most com- complete plan that they possibly can. Um, I think that's pretty clear. Um, they're following federal guidelines, of course, of, of what the reopening is going to look like at Memorial Stadium. They're doing as good of a job now. 
But you're absolutely right. It's going to come down to week one. What are we going to see week one? Um, those will be when, you know, we can finally see the plans because with the way the pandemic has worked, we have no clue what two months from now is going to look like. We really mm-hmm. don't. Um, and on that note, too, I would like to say I would like to see a 12-game season. I think that the Big Ten could work it out where they could reschedule um, their schedule this year and, and try and fix it and, and get – teams to play those 12 games and then potentially when we're looking hopefully a little bit better in December looking good to play in a bowl game and and maybe travel at that point but for now um they're sticking with nine and like I said you could only do is you the only thing you can do is hope for 12 the other thing I want to mention too is Lovey Smith does he get a break this year because of COVID, I think absolutely. I think it's yeah. a throwaway year for Love, which is a bummer because this is this was the year. Um, you know, he started some guys their sophomore year to and freshman year to play in this season, and now COVID is breaking that whole thing up. It's a bummer, but I mean, look at the recruiting that he's done. You know, two two and three years ago, some of the guys coming up might be worth a, you know, a seven and five season might might really be able to put together. Um, a winning Illini team after the team that we all thought was going to be really good. Guys like Isaiah Williams, um, Shmont Cooper, guys like that, um, that hopefully can, can follow up these, these seniors that have, have been playing for a long time. But, you know, like I said, there's still going to be a nine-game season, still a chance to win nine games. So we'll we'll see how they do. Right. So I think – that's probably all we can say about that just because we don't know. Yeah. It that's that's what it is. That's the unfortunate problem of football this year is that we really you can't 100% be sure what the season's going to look like until week 1 hits, until week 3 hits because like Josh Whitman said, it can ch- the plan can change. If they have to shut down fall sports this year, they will. Mm-hmm. That's the matter. I mean, you might you might only see two games this year and then everything not work out. You know, guys getting sick. You know, once that happens, I you have to shut down immediately. And you know, the unfortunate thing too about conferences and playing in a big conference is if you know one of these teams gets it, the whole conference has to shut down. That's yeah. just the fact of the matter. And you know, one thing I will say this, and and I supported it last week. The problem with playing not conference was that you know, the standards are not going to be same for everywhere. I said that it's not about travel it's about exposure they're limiting exposure and if you can have a system that works very well across the board in the big 10 then you're creating a similar exposure and you're not having teams that are like you know fcs that might not be testing quite as well as as the the big 10 can because frankly the big 10 can afford it yeah um some of the lower um smaller schools might not might not be able to afford it, might not be able to have the kind of system that U of I has put in to keep their players protected. That's just the fact of the matter of, of where we are. So, you know, like I said last week, it's all about exposure. It's not about travel. Um, hopefully the system works for the Big Ten and, and they could play out all those nine games. But you're absolutely right. We don't know what's going to look like till week one happens, week two happens, week three happens, because things can change at any moment this season. Yep. So I guess we'll see when the time comes. I mean, it'll be nice to look back on some of these uh, podcasts and (laughs) see how we were viewing things and then see what it actually turns out to be because 
I mean, since March, life has been extremely unpredictable in anything in regards to sports. I mean, we saw the Cubs and Sox exhibition game today happen, and that was exciting. But, I mean, baseball could very well not even continue to happen. You know, it it could something could have happened today and it's done, you know, so. Yeah, that's, you know, that's just the reality of, of what we're living through right now. And it is unfortunate, but, um, you know, NCAA and the Big Ten and Josh Women are going to try their absolute best to keep players safe and, and have a season and make some money. Like we, we started the episode off like, you know, there needs to be money and, and you got to have a lot of luck this season, I think, to um, finish it out. But we'll see. That's that's the only thing we can really say is we'll see. All right. So while there, you know, there's some unpredictability for the future. We all know that. Moving on, we have to talk about our line of the week. Patrick, I I feel like I want to take this one because I wasn't a part of it when we talked about him the past episode. Andres Felice, the man of the hour once again, our line of the week. Him and his wife raised over $7,000 for the homeless and starving families in the Dominican Republic. And we saw videos of him going around and doing this. And honestly, like, what a stand-up guy this man is. Yeah, he is a true Illini through and through. He has the values of um, an Illini, really. And we're happy that he, um, you know, does so much for his community and we just want to congratulate him again for being Alana of the Week and um, thank him for his service. You know, he's given back to his community, and, and that's what, you know, being Alana is all about. So um, give him, of course, the Alana of the Week, and uh, the Bulldog gets it again. Hopefully an NBA contract is up next for him. All right, well, that will be it for this episode of Oski Chuck. I had a really good time hosting this episode. I I think it turned out okay. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I think you did a good job. (laughs) Thanks, Patrick. Um, We can let Anthony be the judge. He'll probably be a little bit bitter, but, you know, it'll be okay. That'll be good. For Patrick Catazone, I'm Ryan Guzman, ILL. I and I.